0: so we are continuing in the book of Joshua. Praise the Lord, we are uh, we're on track. I would say to finish in about two years. That's what I'm assuming. I think in around two years is when we're going to wrap it up because we're 77 messages messages in at this point, and we are in, still in Joshua 10. So, but as you're going to see, it is very fruitful for us to take our time and walk through the Scripture because there is so much there. We're going to cover only three verses today, but what I can tell you, there is a lot being taught in these three verses. It's going to be awesome. But before we get there, you guys know I love a good review, so that's what we're going to do. It's been two weeks since you heard from me. Uh, Thank God for Brother Eric last week in that message. Phenomenal. Uh, Truly phenomenal. Loved it. Um, But last, uh, two weeks ago, we were in a message called Stamping Out Evil, and that was Joshua chapter 10, verses 21 through 25. And in that passage, what we did was we witnessed how Joshua was dealing with those five wicked Amorite kings. They were trapped in that nearby cave. They were trapped in Makedon. What we saw was Joshua, through his actions, what he did was he was refocusing his men. He was allowing them to shift their perspective of their enemies. We saw how things wrapped up, revealing to them uh, that through God's intervention, these once powerful earthly kings now stood powerless. Joshua did this, first of all, through exposing evil. Evil was exposed. This involved Joshua having these godless rulers dragged out of the dark hiding place in the light of the day. Now, remember, this is that miraculous day that God has given them. It's lasting twice as long as a regular day. And what we saw is God uh, extended that time so that he would give them an opportunity to address evil. And exposing these kings, Joshua was modeling for us something that was important, which is exposing wickedness in our own lives. How many of us know that's... Difficult, but yet very, very necessary. Yeah. Okay. Which just happened to be for us, wickedness hides in the dark recesses of our lives, in those dark caves that we don't want to look into. What we discussed in that last message was the aspect of accountability when it comes to exposing sin. If our accountability uh, is to God, what we'll find is it will be a liberating experience to expose sin. But if our accountability is to ourselves and our accountability is to the world around us, then exposing of sin becomes humiliating, right? And what we realize is the fact that God's intention for all of humanity is to be set free from the bonds of sin. God does not want us to live in subject. subject I don't in subjection, I don't even know what word I'm trying to say, under the control, we'll <laughs> just to go easy, under the control of evil, right? That's not what he intends for us. He wants us to be, at, be set free. That's what he models for us on the cross. But then we saw after exposing evil, what happened was Joshua dragged those wicked kings out in the light. And what in doing so, what was he doing? The next thing we took, looked at was the fact that he was, evil was being identified. And the light allowed them to recognize who they were, because he called them out by what kingdom they led. And by dragging these kings out into the open, he was simply saying, listen, it's not only important to know that your enemy is in there, but it's important that you see who your enemy is and you identify your enemy. Because if you do not know who you're fighting, it's very difficult to find a way to defeat that enemy. It's a matter of exposing the danger that they pose to them. And without knowledge of our enemy, it is very easy to continue to live life and allow those things to fester, to develop strength and find ways to hurt us. So what Joshua's teaching us through an Old Testament picture is a very graphic way of us representing and understanding how it is that we are to deal with those things in our own lives. Identifying evil, exposing evil. And then we saw that through the power of God. What did he do? He subdued it, right? Evil. Was subdued, And what he had them do was he actually had his men stand on the necks of these kings. And we talked about the reason why that was important. They were subjugated. Their power was taken away from them. And what happened was his men were able to see these guys who would have been a threat to them that they would have been afraid of going, wow, you know what? These men who are overflowing with worldly power now are powerless because of God's intervention for us. And it was in this graphic representation of these men on the ground with his feet on their necks that Joshua was saying, hey, listen, I'm showing you my men. Remember how we show, God shows us things in pictures. Here's a graphic representation for, their, for his men to see the powerless of this, these, these kings. And what he said, and this, the, the last point we talked about was God's people were encouraged. Through subduing them, they were encouraged. Through exposing them, through identifying them, they were exposed. And then, and then encouraged. And we saw that this was designed to inspire, encourage, and strengthen his men for the battle ahead. Joshua 10, 25, this is what he said. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. Joshua was reiterating the promise that he had heard from God himself. He's saying, listen, we need to be confident. Now look at this thing, This what's being shown before you. I'm showing you this image of these men with their necks being stood upon to help you to realize that God, look what he's done. Look what God has done. So as we pick back up just outside of the cave of Makeda, what I want you to understand is, in fact, I want you to visualize the image of what's taking place. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelite soldiers, right, have defeated the Amorite armies. They're dead. They've dragged these five kings out into, I would imagine, a circle or something like that. So there's all these Israelite soldiers. If we were in a drone and we were flying over, it, there would just be this little pocket with all these soldiers standing around. And in the midst of that pocket... With the sound of Joshua's words still ringing in their ears, these five kings lie here on the ground with necks pressed to the dirt, with the weight struggling to breathe. Right? Imagine what's going on. These soldiers are looking on. And these powerful, arrogant, defiant, godless rulers, with their faces in the dirt, are waiting for their fate to be decided. And decided it shall be. And what we'll see is as their deaths today, like the king of Ai's death, are going to point us to something that's very important for us to understand. It will point us on how we're supposed to deal with the sinful desires that struggle for lordship in our lives. As we look at this, we're going to notice a death sentence delivered, a curse satisfied, and we'll see a life of victory beginning in our message this morning, which is entitled Slaying Strongholds. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this time. Uh, God, you know my heart is to relay what it is that I believe you've shown me in the Scripture. Uh, God, this is uh, powerful, powerful stuff. And, Lord, it's, it's so key for us, God, to have a life of victory. It's so direly important for us as believers to learn how to, to do what you've shown us time and time again in Scripture. And, Lord, you know that I've, I've prayed. I've asked you to, to work. And, God, I believe that you have shown me. Um, some great things. And Lord, I'm asking you, Father, just to now, would you speak through me, uh, Lord, as a vessel? Uh, Lord, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to mess things up. Uh, God, I know that my tendency is to do that. And I'm asking you, just Father, just to please use me. Uh, Lord, help me to become invisible that you might be seen and that your word would be heard. And, uh, and I want to thank you now, Father, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 10, verses 26 through 28. This is an afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening and it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth which remain unto until this very day. What he's saying is like, this is up to the point where I'm recording this, they're still in that in that, in that cave. And that day Joshua took Makeda and smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof he utterly destroyed them and all the souls that were therein. He let none remain, and he did to the king of Makeda as he did unto the king of Jericho. So at this point, I want to revisit what these Amorite kings represent to us. Now, we know from history some 3,400 years ago, they were a five pagan kings. They were five men um, who would stand in defiance of the Lord. And through comparing spiritual things with spiritual, which is what the Bible tells us to do. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13 tells us that we learn the word of God through comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So what's what we're going to be doing today? We're going to be comparing spiritual things with spiritual. What we're going to see through doing that is we're going to realize that these men are much, much more than what they appear for us as what God's trying to teach us. And there's going to be several things in this passage that are going to show us that there's more to them. One of the biggest ones being the fact that they're going to use the trees today and also the fact that, listen, each one of the times when the trees are used, it is, they're preceded by a failure by Joshua and the Israelites to trust God. That's what's going to show us. Those are markers. When you study the word of God, you look for patterns. You look for reasons why things show up because God's teaching you something in the patterns. And what we'll see today, along with those, along with some other details, is God is directing us to something that he talked about and described to his disciples. We see it recorded in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. Matthew 16, 24 says this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Mark eight thirty four records it this way. And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then Luke adds a detail. Luke nine twenty three 23 says, And he said then to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now a cross outside of the cross of Christ had one purpose and one purpose alone. No one that went to the cross received mercy. They stayed on the cross until they died. Sometimes people could remain on the cross for days, up to a week, hanging there, suffering. And you know what they would eventually do? They would come and they would break their legs because what it would do is it would cause them to suffocate because they could hold their body up a little bit and they could get air. But when their legs were broken, they would drop. And very shortly thereafter, they they wouldn't be able to get any air. But what we find is it's always, 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 a cross is always a picture of certain death. That's its intent. And so God's calling us, because remember, he says, take up your cross, take up your cross, take up your cross. Jesus is saying, and follow me. He took up his cross, and what did he do? He went to the top of Golgotha's hill to die. And he's telling us, listen, he's calling us to kill our flesh, our carnal works, the desires of our hearts. We see in Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, it says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit... That dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. No. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. What does mortify mean? Kill. But if ye through the Spirit do kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And did you know that, listen, the body is the very place where the strong it's the stronghold of the flesh. It is the flesh, it's the issue, our carnal desires, our sinful acts, our habits, our choices are described in Scripture as the flesh. That's how God defines them. Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So the spirit that dwells within us has an enemy, and that enemy is our flesh. That's our issue. That's what we're going to deal with today. What we're going to do today is allow this Old Testament picture to teach us how we can rob our flesh of its influence. We can rob it of its power. God wants us to kill our sinful works by slaying their stronghold, that's what God's calling us to Because if not surrendered to God, I want you to realize every single one of us, every single one of us in our flesh has the capacity, oh my goodness, for lustfulness, to be bitter, to be cruel, to be envious, to be jealous, to be hateful. It's within all of us. It's there. It's in our flesh. And so in order to slay these, we must address the underlying issue that drives them, right? Sinful actions, choices that we make, they're merely symptoms of the true disease that we have. And the disease that all of us deal with is rebellion and disobedience. Because if I'm living for God, I'm living a life of obedience. If I'm not living for God and I'm living for my flesh and I'm partaking in sin, I am living in disobedience. It all goes down to that. Ephesians 2.2 tells us this is where we come from. We're in times past. You walked according to the course of this world. This is where we come from. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's where we come from. Our flesh is attached to that disobedience and in watching how Joshua's going to deal with these five kings that are rebellious by the way we're going to learn how to deal with the rebelliousness in our own hearts okay and the very first thing we see that he does we see a death sentence delivered 26 this and afterward Joshua smote them and slew them okay so after these kings are dragged out into the light they're not given an opportunity to speak do you notice that Joshua doesn't say, what do you have to say for yourselves? No, he doesn't ask them anything. They're forced to the ground and their necks are stood upon so they don't even have air to even say anything. He takes away their opportunity to speak. Because I can promise you, if they were given the opportunity to speak, you know what they would do? They would cry for mercy. They would try to get some kind of sympathy from somebody. Listen, <laughs> I know this is all looking bad, dude. I know it's all gone down. We didn't intend all this. You know what I'm saying? You know, you've got to realize that, you know, we, remember, we went to Gibeon. We, we didn't come against you guys. And, but now that we understand that y'all are like one, you know, and you're united, I just want you to know that we don't have any problem with you or your God. And, you know, hey, we, you, we, we, have, you know, we would just love to live in peace with you guys. Would you just let us maybe go? Because I promise you, we're no threat. Don't you think that's probably something they would say? I would imagine it would be something pretty clo- clear to that. Their issue, oh, man, let us go. But you see, instead of doing that, no, Joshua does not give them a, a chance. And see, after you and I have exposed our sin, and after we've identified our sin, and through the power of God we've subdued our sin, that's not the time to lift your foot and go, so you got anything to say? <laughs> no. No. This example is is powerful because, listen, they're subdued for a purpose because I can promise you, if you give your sinful desires a voice, you know what they'll say? They're going to seek sympathy. Oh, yeah. You know, I know that that person in your life was really bad news. But, I mean, you don't need to end the relationship completely because, I mean, think back. It wasn't all bad. There were some good things. Right? And I, listen, you spent that money on that alcohol. It's, un, it's unopened, for goodness sakes. And I know you're not going to touch it anymore. It seems an awful shame to pour it down the sink. That's ridiculous. It'd make a lot more sense since I know you're not going to touch it anymore. And I mean, just store it in the garage. What could it hurt? Out of sight, out of mind. That pack of cigarettes in the, in the glove box that's still in there, that you know is in there. You quit, man. You don't need to worry about it. They're not an issue. Just leave them there. Maybe you'll come across somebody someday who wants them sometime. Don't worry about it. Right? That app on your phone that just eats up your time. Just, just, just put it in a different folder. Just take it off, your, off the homepage. You'll be fine. Right? That site that you just can't stay away from. Maybe just block it. Right? What is our evil? Man, it's going to give us reasons to stay alive. It's going to whisper, hey, from its stronghold, I'm not a threat. Mm -hmm. You don't need to worry about me. Remember, you're surrendered to God. You're walking with God. I'm the least of your worries, right? That's what it's going to say. And no matter how strong our resolve or how committed we are to God in the moment, If we leave them alone and we allow them to live, I can promise you their voice will be eventually heard. They will be heard. What does it tell us in Romans 13, verses 12 through 14? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, and drunkenness, not in chambering, and wantonness, not in strife and in envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh. That's it, man, right there. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make not provision. Do not make it easy for yourself to sin, because I can promise you, your flesh, oh boy, it wants to do wrong. We cannot afford. To make provision for the flesh. Remember, our enemy is just looking for an opening. He's just looking for a weakness. He's just looking for someone who has a listening ear. And can I promise you that your flesh, my flesh, is more than willing to listen. Oh, yes. See, God warns us about the power of sin. Listen to this in Ephesians 4, verses 27 through 32. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him. She's saying, listen, not even the smallest thing, not even a piece of gum. Don't open the door. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I don't care what it is. Nothing. Nothing. But that which is good to the use of edifying. You know what? We're given this tongue. And you know what it was created for? For praise. It was created for edification. And we use it to tear people down and destroy people. That's why James warns us that it's a wicked fire. Right? He warns us. And God gave us that tongue. What was the purpose of it? Listen. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind, this is it, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath given you. Follow the example of the Lord. He's shown you what to do. So the question is, how do we silence the voice of our sin? Right? How do we silence it? How do we stop the whispers that come out of the strongholds that we've allowed to live in our lives? How do we rob them of their power and their influence over us? Galatians 5.16 says this, the principles laid out right here. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Boy, that rolls off the tongue easy. That's really hard to do. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's saying, listen, focus your attention on God. Don't worry about the fight. See, through surrendering to the Spirit and His leading, we deny the flesh, and we kill its influence over us. We must be like the Apostle Paul in in, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. You know what he said? I die daily. I die daily. He's not saying, listen, we, we don't negotiate with our sin. We don't listen to our sin. We don't give it a place in our life. This is why when Jesus is qualifying what it means to be a follower, what does he say in that Luke 9, 23? And he saith to them all, If any man, if any man will come after me, you'll be a Christian, you'll look like me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is telling us that we must spiritually kill our selfish, fleshly desires and the strongholds that are within us the justifications that we keep these things alive, the reason why it's okay in our own hearts, the Lord has pictured for us on the cross what it is He expects for us to do. What did He do? He killed His flesh. He killed His flesh. John ten eighteen says this, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received from my father. He said, listen, I'm killing my flesh. That's the thing. I'm carrying that cross to, for it to die. And interestingly enough, after his death, you know what? He, left, he was left hanging on a tree. That was a tree that was cut into two parts, but it's still a tree. And what we're going to look at next is a curse satisfied. Verse 26 and 27. And hang them on five trees. And they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. So this is the same thing that Joshua did. Remember, we think back when we were at Ai, what happened to the king of Ai? The king of Ai was hung upon a tree. Now, we know that Old Testament, when we looked at the picture of what Ai represented. It represented the flesh. It represented the battle between the spirit and the flesh. And what do we see with these Amorite kings? They are also going to be going to trees. And it's no coincidence of preceding the confrontation with Ai, where Joshua, what did he do? He failed to trust God. He didn't seek God's counsel. And because he didn't seek God's counsel, Achan's sin, which had taken place after Jericho, right, at the backside of that, he didn't know about it. And so there was a failure on Joshua's part. And that king of Ai had to be hung on a tree. So now the same thing has happened again. What happened to the Amorites, right? When the Gibeans came, did God? Did they seek God? No. He trusted in himself. He trusted his men. He did not follow God. And what we're going to see is the same exact pattern. That king would have to be hung on a tree. And the same conversation with these guys just happens to follow another time when Joshua failed to trust God because he made a league with the men, with the, with the Gibeonites. So we see a pattern where a failure takes place, and in order to deal with that failure, because the failure is internal in Joshua, it's not about the external, it's about the internal in him, guess what? There has to be a tree involved. We get to the Amorites, guess what again? A failure within Joshua, a failure within the Amorites, guess what? A tree has got to be involved. And you know those are the only two times that anybody gets hung on a tree outside of Jesus Christ through the Bible? Interestingly enough, pattern is there to show us something Amazing. And what we're finding is the fact that, listen, Joshua's showing us something. These Old Testament pictures represent the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And each one, again, followed by the rulers being hung on trees. Deuteronomy 20, verses 21, 22 and 23 says this. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou, and ha, and thou hang, hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So what's happening to these five kings is not crucifixion. Okay, Crucifixion is not going to be invented for about another 600 years. But what it does is it foreshadows crucifixion. Listen to the way Luke describes it, the death of, this, of our Savior, in the book of Acts, chapter 5 and chapter 10. Acts 5.30 it says this, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Acts 10.39 says this, And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. There is no coincidence in the wording there. Understand that every single word in the Bible is chosen for a reason. God wants us to make the connections. These five Amorite kings and the king of Ai are picturing the crucifixion that the Lord modeled for us. Recognize this. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse. Notice the wording. The curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And you see, our Savior bore our curse. Our sin debt in his body on the tree he paid the debt that we owed, the curse that we should have carried first Peter two verses twenty four verse twenty four says this who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Peter says, again, referencing that same point. The curse of sin sets all of humanity on a course to hell. Every single one of us. And if not for God, that would be the end of the story. For all of us. But God. (laughs) But God. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love with wherewith he loved us. As Peter mentioned, the love of God. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, we're redeemed through the love of God, which was graphically displayed for us on the cross. This is key. We see the cross and we forget so much that, guess what? It's supposed to also see ourselves on the cross. We only see him. You know, that's how God... That's how we display our love to him. How do I show God? How do I really show him that I love him, right? I live for him. I do what I can do. I try to live a life that's godly, that's righteous. But listen, ultimately, we're supposed to be a spiritual sacrifice unto God. Romans 12, chapter number one. You know what it says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, right? A living sacrifice. That means that we're physically alive, but we're spiritually killing our flesh. We're surrendering it to God. Galatians 5, 24 says this. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They've crucified the flesh with affections and lust." We are to crucify our flesh and its sinful desires, slaying the stronghold of rebellion. This is the key. The rebellion that we've allowed to fester in our hearts. Whether we want to admit it or not, we must look within ourselves. Because I need you to understand, the lure of temptation has no power. It has no ability to take root in your life if there's not already wickedness there. There. If there is no fertile ground for the seed of evil to find in us, then guess what? It will not find a place to purchase. That's why the Bible warns that we're supposed to wear the breastplate of righteousness. Right? Because with that breastplate on, we can walk into the battlefield and there's just arrows flying everywhere. And guess what? My heart is protected. I'm not going to be impacted by what I'm around. But what the problem is, most of us go through our lives and we're not surrendered to God. We're not subjected to God. And so what happens, there's little places of evil that we have allowed to exist. And everywhere those little places are that we've learned to justify, and we have learned to tell ourselves that they're okay, we have left voids and openings where wickedness can work its way into our life and sin takes hold. But it's only because we've given it fertile ground. That's why it says don't give place. Don't give fertile ground to evil because guess what? It's going to get you. We can tell ourselves all day long, oh, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. But again, remember, it's waiting. It's looking for weakness. It's trying to find a way in. Jesus told us in Luke 9, 23, And and he saith unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Follow me. Joshua's problem right now is these five rebellious rulers. And he's dealing with them biblically. He's doing exactly what God told him to do. And see, that's what God's calling us to do as well. We're supposed to take up, uh, Jesus took up his cross, and he killed his flesh. And that's what he's calling his followers to do again and again. And then we go, well, gosh, how do I do that? How do I do that? I'm taking off this coat. I'm getting hot. How do I do it? I wear the vest just for you guys. So I look still fancy. <laughs> but how do we do it? Okay? What's the, the process? Chapter James, chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. Guess what they do? They lay it out for us. James tells us exactly what we need to do. How do we surrender? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Grace unto the humble. So what does it say? Humble yourselves before God. That's the first thing we got to do. Humble ourselves before God. Set our pride aside and say, Lord, you know what? I know I'm a mess. I need you. I'm dependent upon you. The second thing is verse seven: submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So first of all, we humble ourselves, then we submit ourselves to God, we submit ourselves to God's will. then it simply says that we're supposed to resist evil. we don't have to fight it. we simply resist it. And see, when we come to come to grasp that spiritual victories in our lives are through surrendering remember Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, you surrender to do what I call you to do, which is be holy as I am holy. You seek holiness. You seek walking in the Spirit. That's your job. You focus your attention and time and effort there. Just work work on that. And guess what? The issues with the flesh, I'll deal with them. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, the byproduct of you walking with me is that stuff with the issues. You don't have to fight them anymore. But when you wake up in the morning, you know, you know I'm, I'm not going to do whatever it is, whatever sin it is, whatever pet sin we have in our life. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do, do it. You know what we're doing? We're using, we're feeding the flesh. We're giving it attention. We're focusing our energy and we're trying to use our will to overcome it. And we can't. Because guess what? Eventually your will will give up. You will find it. He'll find it. He'll get you when you're weak. But if you wake up and you go, walk with God, walk with God, walk with God, love Jesus, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Guess what? The issue of the flesh doesn't even have a hold on you because guess what? It has no place to find. It can't get a foothold in our life because we're so focused on walking with God. God, let me be holy. Let me be righteous. Let me be kind. Let me be loving. Let me be forgiving. Let me be thankful. Man, we're going to talk about this on Tuesday. The issue of, 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 of discontentment that's in our country, the lack of thankfulness is unbelievable. It's a poison that's affected our entire society. But we're looking at, listen, bottom line is we focus our attention on walking with God and let him fight the battle. The question is, will we let him? Verse 8, draw an eye to God. Draw an eye to God and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, saying, so listen, you know what your job is now? Draw close to me through my word. Draw close to me through the word. Allow his word to cleanse us and then set our focus on God. So we've seen humble ourselves, submit ourselves. We're to resist evil. We're to draw close to God through His Word. We're to allow His Word to cleanse us and set our focus on Him. Next, verses nine, verse 9 says this, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You know what He's telling us? You need to see sin the way I see sin. The things you used to think were, were cute and funny and the things you used to think were, were entertaining, guess what? If you're walking with me, you know, a curse word when you're not walking with God hardly even lands. Boy, somebody takes the Lord's name in vain, doesn't even matter. You hardly even hear it because you've gotten used to it. But when you're consecrated, when you're sanctified, when you're holy, when you're walking with God and you're honoring His name, and you're saying, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, and somebody goes, GD, you're like, No, you can't take my Lord's name and use it like a curse word, man, because I love Him so much. You wouldn't do that to your mother, you wouldn't do that to your grandmother. You know, the only religious name that's ever used as a curse word is Jesus Christ and God. No one ever goes, ah, Buddha. (laughs) Mohammed, No, it never happens. You know why? Because there's only one true God. And naturally, humanity rebels against him. So we see sin the way God sees sin. And then last, he says this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and listen to the result. and He shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. God, you know what? I want my life to be about you. And he says, I can do great things. Somebody there. But the problem is we got pride. Humble ourselves before God. As children of God, we've been given all we need to conquer the spiritual strongholds of our flesh. God has enabled us to live out and accomplish his will through surrendering our will to God's. See, so we have to stop driving our agenda, what it is that we think our life should be about, and allow the Lord to set us on the path that he has for us. Because I can promise you his path is way better than the one you have planned. His results are way better, so much better than what you could possibly dream of. God has a purpose for us. And then we see this detail about going down to the sun. And we go back to Deuteronomy 21, and that whole part we just read about, uh, that the, the bodies were taken down because of, uh, before the, the going down of the sun. And understand it's to protect the land. Notice this, Deuteronomy 20 verses 21 and 20, 21 verses 22 and 23. And if any man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be put to death uh, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt, in, in any wise bury him that day, for he that hangeth is uh, hang, hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so what happens here? Protecting and honoring what God has given them. They are taking heed to his warning. God, they don't understand why they need to do that. They don't understand it, but you know what they're? They're being faithful and obedient to follow his instructions to the finest detail. Because you know what they understand? Partial obedience is still disobedience. If He said, hey, kids, clean the room, clean your room, and make your bed. And guess what? You go in there, they've cleaned the room, and the bed's still not made. Disobedience. Yeah, you worked, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. I've told you what I expect. Simply fulfill it. God's told them what to do. And they understand that partial obedience is still disobedience. And certainly understand that in our Christian lives, God has told us. He's given us warnings, things that we need to heed, things that we need to hear. But you know what? We need to be full Full in, our, in our fulfillment of what he's told us to do. We need to be obedient to the end. His instructions to us on how we succeed. God's telling us what we need to do. And as we've seen pictured for us, God expects the same from us that he expects from them. He's pictured for us what it is that we should do. We see, after dealing with these kings, you know what's interesting? After satisfying the, the curse of their sin against God, Joshua's going to shift his attention. It's going to be completely different. He's going to now deal with the enemies of God. And what you'll find is there'll be a transition in regards to dealing with the kings. The only time, right? This is the only time at this point in time forward, he is no longer going to listen to himself. He's no longer going to listen to his men. He is going to listen to God and God alone. And in doing it God's ways, you know what we see? A path of victory, a life of victory beginning. Verse 28. And it says, and that day, Joshua took Macedonia." Now, there's a side note. I don't have it in my notes and stuff like that, but I do want to point this out. There is a prophetic meaning in Scripture many times that we can see something else. There's a phrase, that day, in that day, and that day. That day always is pointing to the second coming of Christ. Okay. And interestingly enough, that day, Joshua, a picture of Christ, is going to be on a path of victory to conquer the world. You see that? Talking about the second coming of Christ. We're not going to get into it, but anyway, I want to point that out. That day, Joshua took Makeda and smote it with the edge of the sword, double-edged sword from the, from the, from, from the very mouth of God. That's pointing to the prophetic. And the king thereof, he utterly destroyed them, all the souls that were therein, and he let none remain, and he did, uh, and he did to the king of Makeda as he did to the king of Jericho. Okay. So now, there's a reset. Okay. We had to deal with the king of Ai, he had to go to a tree. These Amorite kings, guess what? They had to go to trees. The king of Jericho, guess what? He didn't go to a tree. He was utterly destroyed because guess what? He's not a picture of the deal between the flesh. It wasn't an internal failure of Joshua that set the stage because when they got to Jericho, they were following God. They had done everything he'd asked them to do. So what was happening? He was right with God. It wasn't an issue between himself and God. It was between himself, he was representing God, and the world that he was going to face off against. So Jericho was a picture of the world. What's happened now when we get to Makedah? We're switching back. As if to reset, right? Take note here that Joshua is, now let's look at, um, as we before, uh, before we get there. Notice that where things started with Canaan, when the victories began, which was at Joshua chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. Notice the pattern here when we talk about Jericho, because we know he says that he dealt with Makedah as he did with the king of Jericho. Back in Joshua chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. So the people shouted with the priests blew with the trumpets and it came to pass. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down so that the people went up into the city and every man straight before him and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Exactly what they're doing with Makedah. The king's not singled out. There's no mention of him at all. He is destroyed with everybody else. Because you know what? It's a picture of the world. A picture of the world. And what is God trying to teach us through the picture? God's intention is that the world and its influence in our lives should be utterly destroyed in the life of a Christian. We are to turn our back from the wickedness of this world. We do not give it place. There's no place for it in us. We don't. This is not the world that we live in. We're supposed to live as a peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be consecrated, set apart for the glory of God. Not look like everybody else. Not act like everybody else. Not respond and speak and think like the rest of the world. God's intention is that we're separate. And what we see is that after Joshua has dealt with the forces of rebellion, both internal and external, things shift back to a pattern of victory. As the king of Makeda, just like the king of Jericho, will be utterly destroyed along with his people. Just like all the rest of the kings, when you read the book of Joshua, every city from here on out, that's the story. A path of victory. Because you know what they learned? How to be obedient. Yeah. Let's do it God's way. Every time we do it our way, we've got to do a whole lot of extra work. There's trees involved and all kinds of graces, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if we'll just do it God's way, right? Just like all the rest of the kings the Israelites will face in Canaan, for God's people under the leadership of Joshua won't be battling with their own weaknesses anymore. It's not a battle between them and God, but the forces of evil that will amass against them. And until we get victory over sin in our lives, listen, this is key, through slaying the stronghold of our flesh, you know what? We won't be set on a path to victory. It'll be a perpetual cycle of defeat. Because you know what? We can wake up every day and we can start our day doing what James told us to do. Submit it to God, resist the devil, do all those things. We can start off in victory and live a day of victory. But see, every day we gotta do it. What did Paul say? I die daily, because guess what? My flesh fortifies itself while I sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, if I'm not careful, you know what? I'm gonna pop my phone up and I'm gonna start watching YouTube. Oh, I'm gonna read the news. Who knows what I'm going to be involved in? Who knows what situations I'm going to feed myself with before I leave the house? And I get in traffic, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry and irritated, and I can't believe this is going on in the world, and you know what? I'm ready. Get out of my way. And the devil's like, yeah, baby. Love that good ground. Yeah, man. I'm all about getting evil in you. But what if you woke up in the morning and you fortified yourself in Christ? And you said, you know what? Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. God, let me love you. Let me hear from you this morning. Let me listen to Christian music. Let me give my heart to sanctify things. Those wickedness, those things, those habits that I know I should take out of my life. Lord, let me address them this morning. Let me be right with you. I want to be holy as I go through the day. Man, you can have victory all day long. And what's cool is victory is habit forming. Once Joshua really gets a hold of it, once he starts really get a hold of it, they continue to go forward and forward and forward and forward. The same way that defeat is a cycle that we can learn and we can live and it can have a hold on us for weeks and years and decades. Victory is also something we can learn. And you know what's really awesome about it? So once you get used to victory, you look forward to a victory. See, what happens with most of us is we get so caught up in defeat, wake up the next morning, prepped and ready for the next defeat. We don't have a positive outlook. We don't have a faith-based outlook. We have a fear-based outlook. Because you know what? I failed yesterday. I'm just going to fail again. Defeat can be a part of our lives if we let it. But you know, victory can also be a part of our life if we'll let it. Can I tell you, listen, Satan, through his use of the internet, has established more strongholds in the lives of people than I have ever seen in my 55 years of living. There are people all over this planet, countless numbers of people, that are consumed emotionally, spiritually, and physically with sin. They are in bondage. To sin, it rules their lives, they are slaves, and they have a taskmaster named Satan, and you know what he knows how to work them and control them and keep them under subjection every single day they 're broken, they 're despondent, they 're hopeless, and you know what they do? They go back to sin to try to find some kind of some kind of healing, some kind of help, some kind of some kind of you know if I need to escape. you know what I mean, I need this drink because you know what life sucks, and you know what I need to find something to take away the pain. I need to take this hit. So that, you know, I can feel better about myself. I need to find the right relationship. If there's just the right person, I can just find the right person. It'll make me feel better about myself. I got to get it. And people are burning for fulfillment and they'll never find it. And the world will eat them up and spit them out. And they'll be more hopeless than they were ever were before. And the internet whispers to them, here's the solution. It's not God, by the way. That's for the weak. You're strong. You're strong. You can do this. You just haven't found the right answer yet. We're made strong, right? God's made strong in our weakness. Our weakness is the way out, our strength will destroy us. Listen, people are in bondage to sin. And that's the whole reason why Jesus came to set us free. (laughs) The beautiful thing is, he left us a blueprint. About to slay our strongholds. It's a blueprint. We can follow it, or we can do it our way. The question we have to ask ourselves is will we follow it? Crucify the flesh that he might live through us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For today, for your word. Uh, God, I know that uh, sometimes I feel bad. I feel like I'm beating people up all the time. That's not my intention. Oh, but Lord, I want people to be set free. I know the burden of sin and the weight of disappointment, frustration, brokenness don't want that for my brothers and sisters. For those listening recorded or watching online, God, there's a way out. You've given us a road map. You've given us a blueprint to follow. You've instructed us in exactly what to do. Oh, my goodness. If we would just listen. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, that you would do a work in their lives. If there be a besetting sin that they're struggling with, there's something that's got a hold of them something they've allowed in their life. Lord, help them to address it, to identify it, right? To expose it, to identify it, to subdue it, and to kill it on the cross. Oh, Lord, will we crucify this flesh that we might live as a testimony of the goodness of God instead of live in the bondage of sin. This broken world needs Christ more than ever before. And they need to see Christ in us. Lord, help us to be sanctified. Help us, Lord, to be sincere in our desire to walk with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help my brothers and sisters right now. That, God, you'd touch their lives. That you'd use this message, Lord. Maybe they would draw a line in the sand and say, no, I'm not, I'm not crossing that line again. i crucify it today. Lord, help this not be a message that comes in one ear and goes out the other. That when we leave this place, we forget. And tomorrow morning we wake up back in the same mess. Help this Lord Jesus to wake us up. Help us to deal with this thing the way Joshua did and kill it every single day. May we live surrendered lives, submitted lives, holy lives through the power of God. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, I don't know where I stand with God. 21 years ago, I didn't know either. No clue. I was on my way to hell, not because I was worse than anybody else, because you know what? I didn't know Christ. I didn't understand what he had done. The Bible says that for the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is a death sentence, spiritual death in hell. And that's not God's desire because he loves us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants restoration. And in that, Christ came to live a perfect life and to die at 33 and a half years old on a cross not for the sins that he would committed, but for the sins that you and I have committed. And he gave us a way through his righteousness to come to God, to be restored in our relationship. And as Christ calls you today, all you have to do is surrender. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Surrender. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Yes, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift is offered to every one of us to receive it. It's nothing more than a broken heart, willing to to receive the truth of God's word, that he died for you on the cross, that he loved you, and he has the power to restore you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray that this is not a magic prayer and there's no ceremony involved. This is between you and God. If you're not sincere and you don't mean it, it's a waste of time. Don't do it. But if you're sincere and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, he is waiting on you right now. Now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for my sin. I understand now that it separates me from you, and it'll take me to hell. Oh, but Lord, I also understand that you love me, and you made a way through the cross for me to be saved. God, right now, in the best way I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to save my soul. And I'm asking you to give me a home in heaven. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. I pray, Father, that you'd use my life for your glory. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.